0: Excuse me for just a second. We're beginning a new series today. A lot of you are aware of called Hard Questions, and we've got some hard questions. Thank you very much. I'm going to, I guess, earn my money during these uh, five weeks. Appreciate it. Daniel Hicks is our um, new director of communications, and he has for the last uh, several weeks. I think a lot of you got an email blast. We posted on all of our social media venues, and you guys kept them coming. So there's a lot of hard questions. We're not going to tackle them all. I'm not going to tackle all of those this morning. By the way, we want to give some depth to them. But there are multiple pages of difficult questions. Uh, A few of you, because you were anonymous, uh, sent some mean stuff. So when we preach on hell, uh, that'll be for you. But a couple of you were funny. I appreciate that, making my job, giving some light and levity to my job. Uh, One question uh, came in. Again, it's anonymous. I can probably guess who it's from. But they said, is it true that Robert Greene supports the killing of innocent alligators and flying Asian carp? And are there pictures to prove it? And the truth is, yes, I do support that. And there are pictures to prove it. We may show them. They're surfacing out there. But a few years ago, I went at gator hunting and we got a few. And there's pictures of me in a, you know, in a boat with alligators. And it was a very dark time, um, dark and literally dark and swampy. And uh, we brought those gators in. And if, if you're against that, just know that the Asian carps flew up into our boat, knocked me in the head several times across my pretty face, all that stuff. So... Um we're, we're going to tackle the serious questions, and today we've got a good one. They will get a little more specific in the weeks ahead, and with Daniel Hicks's help, we're trying to tackle uh, the most popular one in week five, and it likely could be the most difficult one. So you will see me sweating up here. Our question for today uh, is the following. Question number five, we've coalesced it into this. Why doesn't God do something about evil and suffering? You thought of that one? Bother you some? Why doesn't he just do something about evil and about suffering? I want to begin in particular recommending during this series a few things that you read. Uh, Susan and I lead a small group, and what we're doing during this stretch is going through the sermons, and each and every week, just as we post the sermon on Sunday afternoon, there'll be discussion questions. It's in three um, sections, connect, engage, and apply. Connect is kind of that icebreaker, warm up as a group with some um, questions that are pertinent to the sermon, but engage is the part when you get into the Word see what the Scripture says, and then apply is, of course, as the name suggests, is an opportunity for you uh, as a group or individually to take some steps of obedience in what Scripture teaches. And we want to, for some of you that want to go deeper, we want to recommend maybe a little less social media, a little less TV, entertainment diversions, and to dig into some of these resources. And the three resources that I thought prayerfully about to recommend to you to read would be C.S. Lewis, The Problem of Pain, Tim Keller, Making Sense of God, And then um, also there's a book called Who Made God. There's a few titles out there floating around, but this was Ravi Zacharias and Norman Geisler, Who Made God, The Problem of Pain and The Reason for God. And I would encourage you to read those, to get those and read those uh, for extra depth and meaning to what we're talking about today. C.S. Lewis in The Problem of Pain in an early chapter uh, writes this. When I was an atheist, if anyone had asked me, why do you not believe in God? My reply would have been, look at the universe. Most of it is cold, empty, and dark. Life is arranged in a way that all forms can live only by preying on one another. Higher forms have a quality called consciousness that enables them to suffer pain. These creatures cause pain by being born. They live by inflicting pain. And in pain, sometimes great pain, they mostly die. Furthermore, the universe will cease to be. Every race is doomed. All stories come to nothing. All of life will have turned out to be a transitory and senseless contortion upon the idiotic face of infinite matter. If you ask me to believe that this is the work of a benevolent and omnipotent spirit, I reply that all evidence points in the opposite direction. By the way, happy Sunday. Glad you're here. I want to say what some need to hear, and that is the Bible itself Gives us a green light to experience anguish, anger, rage, confusion in this area, and so, if the weightiest, most intelligent people in the history of the world have not given us through their writings and teachings given us satisfactory, readily accessible, easy explanations for this answer, then what do you think the chances are that i 'm going to be able to do that today right and so i 've written this sermon with this idea that it would push you further to think more deeply on this. And it would turn you toward faith. It would turn you toward faith in God, to honestly look for these answers, but above all, to look for the one who provides a solution. In my studies this week, it's fascinating to me, to, to realize that in the wisdom literature of the Bible, books like Ecclesiastes and Lamentations, Job, and the Psalms, that two-thirds of the writing in the wisdom literature of the Bible is lament. It is that anguish and that rage and that, God, why, where are you? God, What? How lo- how much longer? Why this? Look at what's happening. And that's in there, but you contrast that with modern worship songs in American churches. There's about 1% lament in those songs. And so we're missing something, aren't we? We're missing maybe the gathered assembly. We're missing when when human beings, believers and followers in Jesus come together and are able to not over-spiritualize, to not over-sentimentalize things, but just to look and say, God, where are you in the midst of this? And to to rage as we seek the answers in that regard. And so this morning, I want us, I'm going to give you five things, and some of you have me on the clock. I notice you uh, looking at your watch. And by the way, why didn't you all tell me to take off my watch during baptism? Nobody said, hey, your, your, your watch, take it off. But anyway, I think it's fine. Um, some of you look at the watch, and so here's what I, the, the five are not evenly distributed, so if I take longer on one or three or something like that, don't worry, we're going to get you out of here on time. I've said that before. Point number one, I see some of you mocking. The existence of pain does not prove... The absence of love. There's a passage, again, in the wisdom literature, this book called Lamentations, a lot of crying and Lamentations, and it says this in Lamentations three thirty-three: For He, that is God, for He does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. It's not in the heart of God that you would hurt. Picture a surgeon. We have a new uh, thoracic surgeon in our small group. Uh, Hopefully, I'll never need him. But picture a surgeon. Does a surgeon willingly inflict pain? No. He or she knows that when they operate with that knife, it's to bring healing, not hurt. And they know that something good is on the other side. Imagine a therapist. A therapist, it's very common in a therapy session for that man or that woman, wise and trained and educated, to have you look back on your family of origin issues, to get into some introspection, to enter into sad memories. Is it because he or she wants to inflict pain? No. They know, a wise therapist knows, that the pathway to emotional, mental, spiritual healing is for pain and affliction to come, but there is growth on the other side. Parents your kid is acting whiny and entitled and they're all fussy. Do you want to bring pain to them? Absolutely. Because they're whiny and fussy, right? Like you want it to hurt, but do, is that the end goal? Is it, is it to bring pain? I remember many, many years ago when our daughter, now 17, a lovely young woman in her own right today, but when she was a little bitty, a baby girl, we took her in to to get a shot and we sort of, Fudged the truth a little bit to get her to the doctor, but listen, we we up until that point, of those months of her life, we just loved her and cherished her, guarded her, protected her, shielded her from any and all pain. But that doctor walked out with a shiny long needle, and her pretty eyes looked up at me like, "Daddy, what have you done?" And instinctively, as a father, I picked her up and said, "Honey, Daddy didn't do this. Mommy did. This is <laughs> this is Mommy's idea, right?" And as a father. I held her because I knew something was necessary and that good was on the other side. Parents know this. You have to know this. Parenting, it's a package deal. Love, pain, and parenting. And it flows together, doesn't it? And so it is with the heart of God. Jesus... um, I had breakfast with someone yesterday who wasn't aware that these weren't the original words of Jesus. He's hearkening back to teachings of the prophets. But he said this in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45. Um, I'm going to skip the first sentence as it leads to verse, as it explains 44. He, God, causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. How many of you have heard that? Nod your head like you've heard that from philosophy. I don't know if you knew it was in the Bible or Jesus taught it, but you've heard this. If you're, it's, it's, it's good poetry and it's true In life, uh, you could get a graphic picture here. A hundred of us walk into a a cornfield somewhere and the rain comes. Just because you've done well, you're a clean living, law-abiding, tax-paying citizen, going to church, giving money, uh, caring for people. It doesn't mean that the rain is not going to fall on you. And there's some scoundrel, five people over. It doesn't mean the rain's going to hit him or her extra hard. When it rains in a cornfield and a hundred of us are bunched together, it's going to hit every one of us. And you see, that's a simple illustration, and that's what Jesus wants us to learn about pain and evil and suffering. Why then do I, I'll just pick on me, why then do I, when something goes wrong, do I think something's wrong? And why do I think when I'm experiencing pain that there is an absence of love? So we learn Lamentations 3.33. We learn that it's not in the heart of God to hurt us. We know the rain falls and the sun shines on all of us, and none of us are exempt, And God wants to use that pain in our lives because He knows that it can have the intended effect. He knows, as a good father, that there's love on the other side. And so, the the presence of pain does not mean the absence of love. Second point, the reality of evil is a result of the fall. In Genesis 3, The great creation story, what follows is sin that entered into the world through man and woman's rebellion and sin as it enters in, it fractures life, it separates people from their God and from each other and sends us into a tailspin of rebellion. Genesis 3 verse 18 and following tells us some of the results of that. The ground is cursed, Uh, our labor, we toil in it and with the sweat of our brow there is thorns and thistles in this thing called life, and ultimately we go dust to dust, uh, death comes upon us. And this was not the original intention of God in his creation. And that puts us into this wonderful realm of philosophical, theological thought of free will and love. And this is where it's great, and as a follower of Jesus, I think it's so wonderful and empowering that I can intellectually take this into the halls of academia and debate anyone in this regard, but you cannot have love if you don't have free will. If you're my age, or older, not many of you out there, but... You may remember a, a, a movie in the '70s called *Stepford Wives*. Anybody heard of the *Stepford Wives*? Uh, they remade the movie. I see a few of you nodding, nodding your head. But the *Stepford Wives* was a story in a pristine Southern California neighborhood of suburbia, and the the wives were replaced by um, look-alike robotic wives. And can you imagine that, man? Could you imagine replacing your wife like that with uh, someone that looks just like her, but she's a robot and she smiles all the time and she cooks you whatever you want and she laughs at your favorite jokes, does whatever you want to do, schedules your best events. Could you imagine like trading your wife for a robot like that? The answer, fellas, is no. Okay, no. Let me help you here. The answer is no. You couldn't imagine that. It's not going to happen. But listen, God does not make us. God did not make us to be mechanistic robots at His beck and call. You have a choice. You have freedom. Before baptism, an officer walked by the hall and I, I wanted to grab his gun. He had, you know, one hidden here and one there and he could kill you if you try anything with me today. But um, he, I was looking for a taser gun. He didn't have one, but you know, a lot of officers carry a taser gun. And I did talk to an officer a couple of years ago with the Flowood Police Department. And I learned from this officer, a friend of mine, that uh, for an officer to carry a taser gun, they themselves, it's a policy with the police department that they themselves have to get tasered. So they have to get shot uh, just to know, I guess what it feels like as a point of empathy. And what I've learned in research of tasers a couple of you may be aware of this but just a half second just a little bit of shot on a taser gun like a half a second uh, it it causes tremendous pain to the body um, and it it sends electrolytes and shock into the system if you hold it for a couple of seconds okay for several minutes someone is they're, they're dropped to the ground and they're dazed and very confused they're they're in a tough spot if you hold it for uh, three four five seconds or more you've taken somebody out not to death of course but you've uh, you've taken them out for 15 minutes or more they're not they're not going to be able to get up and function if you've tasered them now think about God with a taser gun God have, could have created the world he could have made a world in which there wasn't free will and that every time that you thought about doing something wrong you got the taser gun he could right now in one fell swoop stop evil with the taser gun If you thought about telling a lie, he could get you. You know, the Bible teaches this, I believe it, that thoughts lead to actions. And so if you think about stealing, God could get you with a taser gun. That would probably be a half second, right? If you think about robbing a bank, if you're plotting that, he could get you with a two or three second taser. If you're um, about to murder someone, he would probably hold it down for for four or five seconds to take you out for at least 15 minutes, right? To think a thought, to, to think about doing an evil deed, God could taser you. Those are sins of commission the bible teaches about sins of omission that's when we know that we are to be humble to do justice to love mercy to walk with him in humility to care about the world among us and if we're not doing that god could taser us acts of omission and commission god could use that gun for compliance and it kind of gets to this thing where again it's a lot of late night fraternity bull sessions and you know At times hanging out with folks who love philosophy. But could God have done both? Could God make a square circle? And God created love. And God created free will. And it is into this world. And Jesus, in Matthew 23, stands over Jerusalem, a city that was most important, a symbol of Jewish pride. And he prayed this prayer. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, his heart is breaking. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. There's will. There's our rebellion and our resistance. God doesn't taser. God doesn't create Stepford wives. He gives us the choice. What choice do we make? What choice do we make in this world. When it comes to suffering, I've sort of taught this before, but I want to be really clear. Suffering is what divides us. Some of the questions we're going to tackle in the next few weeks are somewhat controversial. Um, But this is just a subject here that's just... But it divides us not in a controversial way, but it divides us in terms of how we live. For you see, some of the greatest saints, some of the greatest followers of Jesus are those who've endured great suffering. And when you ask them why they are where they are today, by the grace of God. They won't tell you so much about their church attendance, the conferences or they've attended or the books they've read. They will talk to you about what they have been through. For they have experienced God in the midst of their suffering. And they fought and they've wrestled and grappled, but they've gone to Him and experienced Him. They've tasted and seen that He is good. They believe Him to be true, that He's there and that He cares. And yet, likely impacting the lives of some of us in this room. Cynics and skeptics. Suffering is the very thing because of this point. Because of the presence of pain, there can't be love. How can there be a God in this situation? The reality of evil is, it is the result of a fall. And a ground is cursed. And we toil in our labor, and there's thorns, and there's thistles, And we're thinking about this existential dust to dust. And we suffer. God has given us a will. How will we choose? Are we among those who His heart breaks for? He looks at us. He looks at you and says, but you would have none of it. He's invited you. But you resist Him. The third point I want to make about why God doesn't end pain and suffering. Evil is a unique tool to awaken and arouse us. You'll need to think on this one. It can be a tool to awaken and arouse us. Consider Ephesians 5. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because what? The days are evil. Wake up. Wake up. Years ago, when American Idol was all the rage, and Simon Cowell was the ornery, mean, judgy kind of judge. Y'all remember those days? He was like the mean one. He's on another show now, and I think he's kind of like the nice one. But on American Idol, in its sixth season, they launched a campaign called Idol Gives Back. And this was, I see a couple of you nodding your head. You remember this. I do so vividly. It was a campaign to raise awareness and funds through the viewership to tackle poverty on a on a global scale, particularly in the United States and in Africa. And one night in Watching Idol, there was a, a, a commercial infomercial of their own making related to this campaign, and Simon was with a camera crew in a remote village of Africa that was ravaged by poverty and disease. And in one tent, he entered into this tent of a home with a mother who had 18 children and uh, several of them uh, were living with AIDS or dying of AIDS and Simon Cowell never forget this moment this ornery mean judge all about materialism and entertainment and the good life he said repeatedly I didn't know this existed I didn't know this existed I didn't know this This existed this is not right this is not right this is not right and in that moment, I was thinking, here is somebody waking up to the fallen world that we live in, being roused to do something about it. True story, a few years ago, three teenagers grabbed baseball bats and hopped in the car to go out for a night of fun. And they found a homeless man on a park bench, and they took those baseball bats and began to re- beat him repeatedly despite his cries for them to stop. This incident was captured on surveillance video and showed in cast around the country. These young teenage boys, they were caught and they were captured and they stood trial and they're in jail today. But hear me today, like we all live in the same world, all right? This is the commonality of our humanity. So let's don't over-spiritualize. Let's don't hydroplane past this. Let's don't kick it under the rug. I ask you this morning, where is God? Where was God? Anybody want to stand up today? I'll give you the floor. Anybody want to stand up and tell us where God was when that homeless man was being beaten? Where was he? I don't have the answer, but I can point to a person, God's own Son, who was innocently beaten by evil men, who redeems all of humanity in His love. I hate stories like that. Stories of free will and choice when the option is evil and somebody's beaten to a bloody pulp. And I experience, like you, rage and anger. And God, where are you? And why and how long? And make it right. We all share that. I will tell you that because of that event, God can redeem things. He can redeem things. Because of that very event, the city in which this occurred, three new relief agencies to tackle homelessness were launched. Two churches spearheaded those. And around the country, there were spokesmen saying, I didn't know this existed. I didn't know the extent of the problem. This isn't right. We must do something about it. And you see, though we cannot explain evil, all evil, we can look and we can see some redemption in it. And we ourselves can be woken up and we ourselves can be roused to action. Just like Jesus in Matthew 23, just like Jesus in Matthew 9, where he saw those without a shepherd and he saw those who were wayward and lost and hurting. And we are called, we are called to see as he saw, to feel as he felt, and to do as he did. Next point as it relates in pain and suffering, this is the fourth point in pain and suffering. We make our deepest connections. And let me back up for a little bit because I think I have time. I'm going to back up to this uh, to the last point about being awoken. C.S. Lewis, in his great work, said, some of you know this, that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our consciousness. And then, but he but he rouses us and he uses a megaphone. He screams, shouts at us in our pain. And it is in that rousing that we want to hear him. That we want to identify with every man and woman, boy and girl, girl in the whole world to say, God, where are you? And what can we do to be a part of this solution? Carolyn Light is a woman who started mad, mothers against drunk driving. Why do you figure she started mad? Any guesses? Would it surprise you to learn that Carolyn Light had a 13-year-old daughter who was walking to a circus at school one day, and that daughter was hit by a drunk driver. And she learned through the proceedings that this drunk driver, this was his fourth time to drive drunk. And through successful legislative lobbying, targeting victims... In supporting the innocent, this organization was lost, and nobody in the room could calculate how many lives have been saved because of MAD. America's most wanted John Walsh lobbied in 1982 for the Missing Children's Act. Massive legislation that changed our country, changed how it's recorded, how it's tracked, how people are prosecuted, the whole system, the 1982 Missing Children's Act. Um, as of a couple of years ago, they estimated that over a 1,000 fugitives have been brought to justice. Justice, anybody want to guess? Anybody want to guess what motivated, what fueled his ambition? You probably know this. It was his own son being abducted from a Florida mall in 1981. They found his son 16 years later. Evil is to be redeemed. Our hearts are to be broken. But which direction do we go? I was going to show a picture, but I can't take it. I know a lot of you can't. and Maybe there's some kids in the room, so parents would be mad at me. But there's a famous picture of a little girl in Sudan, malnourished and about to die. And she's falling over. And a few feet away is a giant vulture. Any of you remember this photo? And the photographer who took the photo took his life three weeks after that. But aren't we all with them? How much longer? What can be redeemed in that? But everything is at stake when you see deep suffering. A dear family lost their son several years ago. They heard about the family that lives 300 yards right over there who lost their daughter, 17-year-old JA student, some of you know, hit a manhole on Ridgewood Road the week that they were going to have graduation and her senior trip. This mother left our church one Sunday and drove right there and knocked on the door. And hug this mom. My wife had done that a week before. But that's a different hug, isn't it? That's a whole different hug. Second Corinthians 1 says this. I'm so proud of us, proud of you when you live this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any way, or any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. There's nothing like suffering and pain to connect people. Imagine you're at a movie, an event, religious ceremony or concert... Before it started, someone came out, and on the microphone, this person said, and they boomed this request, they said, if you've been affected by cancer, stand. And you know a lot of people would stand. If you've been directly affected, a lot of people would stand. And let me ask you, what would you feel in that moment? Connection, empathy, compassion, solidarity, love because there's nothing quite like suffering to connect us suppose the same person in the same venue said hey stand if you've been to Oregon or stand if you drive a Nissan or stand up if you've ever had to fire a plumber what effect would that have what point of connection silly But you see what I'm saying? Suffering is unique. And lastly, one day God will end evil and suffering. One day He will. One day He will. One of the great thinkers said this in 2 Corinthians 4, for this light momentary affliction, this wasn't a guy living in the suburbs who was pampered. Mm -mm. Far from it. This light momentary affliction, how dare you? Well, he lived it. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Seven or eight years ago, 12 coal miners in West Virginia were trapped. And friends and loved ones and media and pastors and well-wishers and vigilant prayer warriors were at ground level praying for those men down below. And they huddled together, these miners, as best we know, and they were trying to breathe what little oxygen was left while somehow avoiding the poisonous air. And no one knows when they realized that they weren't going to make it. But we do know that most of the 12 wrote a letter, wrote kind of a final words. The medical examiner later would distribute the shoes to the loved ones, to the families. And the foreman wrote, his brother showed the media, showed the watching world, but the foreman wrote, I'll see you on the other side. Now let me ask you today, if you're a firm believer, you vacillate in between or even you're a skeptic, Isn't that a stubborn, stubborn thought? Isn't that, that that eternity that he's put in your heart that I'll see you on the other side? I mean, can you shake that? That's God. That's how He's made us. That's the longing. Of our hearts. Would you stand with me today? And as you're standing, I want to put up all five. If you want to take a picture, you could with your phone. The existence of pain does not prove the absence of love. Reality of evil is the result of the fall. Evil is a unique tool to awaken and arouse us. In pain and suffering, we make our deepest connections. And one day. God will end this pain and this suffering. I went with my sister a couple of weeks ago. Jan, wave your hands in the air like you just don't care. We went and rang the bell at the cancer ward. He is good. He is good. It's through our prayers and through our connections that God's going to grow us. We're going to open up this altar now today. It won't be for the proud. It won't be for anybody that cares what people think. But this altar is open for you to hit knee and offer a prayer. And we will be down front to pray for you. Any decision, any direction you need to make in life, uh, we want to be here for you, to, to walk with you. Even just simply now, say a prayer over you. Be obedient. Let's all sing as Shannon leads us. This is a great song. Like. I know everybody has their opinion, but like, this is a great song. And I promise in the next few weeks, I'm not going to cry. I'm just going to be controversial. But uh, this is a great song.